This week's episode is brought to you by the Retail Innovation Conference and Expo. And what all the platforms are racing towards now is this final piece of like, how do we now convert? And I can tell you, being partners with Snap and Insta and Google and Meta, like they wanna push this. Of course they do, because they wanna attribute and show to you as the brand, this is actually gonna drive sales. So we're starting to see even more on Snap, on Insta, these call to actions within these AR lenses that try to attribute and drive. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Anytime I want to dig into a new and emerging channel or technology, and anytime I want to explore the possibilities for these new offerings and how brands can embrace them to better engage with consumers, there's usually one person at the top of my list. And that's Matt Marr, founder of M7 Innovations. He is so in tune with the latest and greatest news, product drops, platform releases, use cases, so much more. His finger is so on the pulse that he helps our team uncover what's next in retail, in marketing, and in customer experience. That's why we were thrilled to have him on stage, not just as a track chair for our e-commerce growth track, but also as a speaker. During his session, he dug into the Hitchhiker's Guide to the New Internet. You may have seen platforms like Discord come up in conversations and headlines, but in his session, Matt really explores the new possibilities, not just for discord and community building and engagement, but also the other tools, capabilities, and requirements for engaging a increasingly digitally savvy and digitally immersed audience. For this week, we're going to go back to this session and give you a little bit of a taste of the knowledge and expertise that Matt has to offer. But let's get right into it and welcome to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the New Internet. This beautiful imagery you see here, as you probably guessed, was generated with artificial intelligence. Like, look how amazing that was. In mere seconds, I made my artwork for the keynote. But the reality is, when I actually typed in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Internet and Stable Diffusion, this is what popped out. And this is disgusting and deformed. And I could never actually show this in a live keynote on stage at the Retail Innovation Conference, but here it is. And it's just to show you that if you actually just type that in, that's what you're really gonna get. But when I, you know, type this in to mid-journey, where I am quoting all these different things, I'm choosing the algorithm, how to upscale all these different, then I can make something amazing. And it's kind of a microcosm uh, of this presentation to say, before we rush ahead and everything's changed and it's all over and AI is gonna take over the world, let's zoom out and say, well, there's some humans in the loop here. Maybe we're getting a little ahead of our skis. So I try to use this in the upfront to show, okay, this presentation is meant to slow things down a little bit, break them apart so we can kind of understand what actually will happen next. 
Now, there's one uh, fact that I think is very true, and it's that media, tech, all of this innovation, it is accelerating uh, at such a rampant speed, even more so than five years ago. And I launched M7 in 2018 and felt, okay, augmented reality, voice technology, AI, this is starting to kind of crest, this wave is starting to become a tsunami. In 2023, it's hard to keep up with all the things that are essentially happening day to day. Uh, and if you look at the, you know, we could spend an entire 45 minutes just talking about ChatGPT or diving back into the metaverse or what's gonna happen with Twitter and Elon or social commerce, virtual try on crypto. There's a thousand things we could talk about which are just the, the trends and those aren't even uh, the headlines, right? They're not even the headlines that we're dealing with, right? That's what we're seeing you know, in the news but we have to actually kind of look and say, what's actually happening? And, 2022, I was here last year speaking, and it's like you couldn't escape a cocktail hour. You can escape anything with hearing one of these three words, right? It was metaverse, it was NFTs, it was Web3. And all of a sudden in 2023, this is what it kind of feels like, right? That AI is this beautiful child you care about so much, and your, your NFT kid is kind of drowning next to you, and the metaverse is just far dead at the bottom of the ocean with Mark Zuckerberg's dreams. And you could just tell how quickly things start to move, right? The fact that we're, we're past the metaverse and our NFT is gone and now it's all AI, even though we were talking about AI in you know, 2017 and 2018. So what we try to do is you know, just zoom out to really understand innovation, these technologies, uh, you really have to just take a macro view. And what we do, and we specialize in all these different technologies, is kind of bucket them apart to say, if you look at the entire Lumascape of what we could talk about in terms of innovation and emerging technology, I mean, we need six weeks to go through all of this. You know, we have about 35 minutes. So what we're gonna do is kind of just zoom in and bucket these together to say, let's talk about this evolving internet. Let's focus in on these six topics uh, and bucket them this way. Let's talk about the next evolution of loyalty, of community, of CRM. Let's talk about the future of 3D virtual try-on. Uh, and then let's talk about what the world of metaverse, NFTs, and Web3 actually means, not just aspirationally, but actionably. So let's start with the evolution of community, loyalty, and CRM. I'll take about 10 minutes to 12 minutes in each one of these sections. Um, and then again, we'll leave some questions at the end. So I want to start with Discord. Now, some of you may have been on Discord before, have heard about it. You probably think, oh yeah, that's that gaming social network that people use during the pandemic to talk to each other. That is correct. They did, then did get about a $100 million investment and changed the UX and UI to make it more friendly to everybody. And what we start to see is Discord's a really interesting bellwether for what the future of digital is going to look like because it mixes social, it acts kind of like a Twitter. It mixes comms, it feels like Slack, and it also mixes in kind of what I believe the future of CRM is. When we think of what Apple does with iOS 14.5 and sucks the oxygen you know, out of the advertising ecosystem and wipes $10 billion away when we think about hide my email and private relay and how much harder it is for brands and clients to actually speak to each other, we need to find a new path for strong CRM and we start, we're starting to see it on a platform like Discord. So two seconds on this. It is still a small platform. It doesn't have three billion monthly active users like Meta um, and it doesn't allow advertising, which we always like to see because that's where you can really see how a platform can grow uh, and what it can actually do if it doesn't succumb to advertising. And you know, while it is very small, it is the fastest growing social network um, of today. So again, small in nature, it's why we look to it as a bellwether for the future. 
And we do that because there are major brands right now that they're on Discord. Liquid Death actually has a pretty active Discord that was just on stage. And major brands are essentially using uh, Discord uh, as a CRM tool. And we'll show you a couple examples inside these discords of what they're doing. Prada, Starbucks, Porsche, and Rebecca Minkoff. So before we show you that, we want to talk about this secret sauce of what makes this platform special. And yes, today it's Discord. Tomorrow, these types of features can probably be embedded into our own sites, but it's good to see. And what I love about this is it really does rethink communications. And what, what do I mean by that? So. If you think 2000 to 2022, uh, a brand, what can you do, right? You, you kind of can send out a newsletter, you can do moment emails, there's social posts, there's DMs, there's automated texts. You basically can send out these comms, but there's a wall there because the reality is it's a call out to your clients, your consumers, uh, and you want them to respond, to convert, to buy something, to write back. Uh, and if you're a client, it's kind of the same thing, or you're a consumer, right? How do you connect with a brand? You can go on Twitter and at mention them. You can fill out a form on .com. Maybe there's a chat bot. You can do a phone call or a direct email. Uh, but the reality is it's the same thing. I'm a consumer. I'm putting a call out, and I'm hoping the brand will respond. Maybe in an hour, maybe in a day, maybe in a week. But there's still a wall there. Uh, and what we're starting to see with Discord is it's becoming kind of this always-on comms platform. And apologies for some of the formatting here. But we're going to show you essentially these examples of how it becomes an always-on e-comm channel. So we'll start with the announcements, right? So in this platform, and if you look here on the left of what Discord is, it is aesthetically ugly. I, uh, this person on the M7 team called it the, you know, the Bloomberg terminal of the internet. It's just, it's not very nice to look at, but again, we're looking at the functionalities and what's important. So, you know, they make announcements within a Discord. And once you sign up to a Discord, which is technically the ultimate opt-in, because when you sign onto a Discord server, you're saying, here's my information, and you can give me notifications, and you're basically giving an opt-in. So anytime, you know, Prada does an announcement, that's going, you know, into my lock screen. You can see my son CJ there, very excited that Prada's going to have a party, um, you know, it, it Prada extends that we could go to. So not only is it past my push screen, but I unlock and I then have the red badge within my Discord. There are moderators at brands that actually are always on these discords. So here's an example with Lacoste that I can see in real time two of the three Lacoste team members are actually there. So you can see I actually can go into the chat bar and again, a little bit of an ugly UI and UX, but I essentially can type in, tag them, say hello, ask a question, kind of this always on comms that if I can see the green light, I know I can connect with them. Uh, and this wasn't even uh, stage that they wrote back to me uh, within, within 60 seconds. You're wondering why I choose Bill Paxton from Twister as my name. It's Web3. This deals with some NFTs. It's, it's a crazy world out there. You got to stay safe. So tomorrow we'll have a little less anonymity, um, but we kind of had a pseudonym for this name for, for professional reasons. But you can see, you know, I can chat with these moderators. Support. You can actually open tickets within a Discord. So you have a problem, you contact support. Um, you know, you basically click a button here. A ticket is a sub ticket's created. Now, this is again an always on channel where until that ticket is closed, which you as the consumer close, the brand will reach out to you and you'll get a notification whenever they do. It's not going to be an email that's lost, it's going to be a ping that says, Hey, brand just reached out, here's your answer. Again, really smart CRM in a really ugly platform. Hope no one from Discord is here. I love it, it's a great spot. It's just not great for all Fortune 500 brands at this point. Think about spaces and talks and watch parties. This is fascinating, right? You can you know, watch YouTube streams together. Prada had their fashion show streaming on their Discord and it's people that come together. If you look at 
Porsche. You know, you get to meet people from Porsche. You meet drivers, artists. You can be invited on stage to ask them questions. It democratizes access to a brand that would usually be completely difficult or impossible to do or frankly creepy to get in front of these folks. But spaces and talks and watch parties are a huge feature. And then last but not least, and this is a, a larger conversation, but you know, digital clout. So you know, you basically can credentialize yourself. You log in, it looks into your wallet, sees if you have a digital good. If it's Vogue, you basically pay the $30 a month and you get the credit say that you're a Vogue subscriber. So all of a sudden with Prada, once it sees I have the Prada digital good, all of a sudden I have you know, gold next to my name, I have a new role. And what that really means is I can converse with these 6,000 people in that Discord, but there's only 400 of us that have this role. So it solves what I believe is the next stage in digital is we have Physical clout, you know, if I wear a Chanel bag, if I have a, you know, the Charles Twitch shirt, if I'm wearing a Rolex, like you can see in the status, right? There's status that you can physically wear. We don't really have that with digital. There's not many distribution points. You could buy the $300,000, you know, Board Ape Club monkey NFT, but I'd have to run up and show you my phone and say like, look what I bought. This is pretty amazing, right? There's no distribution point for that. And this is one of the few, few digital clout distribution points we're starting to see. And if you, track with where consumer behavior is going. Less than you know, 10 years ago, we spent 19 minutes a day on our phone. Right now, Americans spend four hours and two minutes a day. In China, it's seven hours and four minutes. We're only trending up with spending time in digital, so digital clout will be important. So we see this as this always on interactive comms channel. So let me just quickly show you how each one of these brands are leveraging this uh, social platform. Discord as a CRM tool. So we showed you kind of this uh, digital cloud, this time capsule. You get a secret channel within this Discord where you can kind of compete. Everyone's allowed to go to Miami or Tokyo for these private parties. They also have this where one person can essentially win uh, a all expenses paid trip, five days in Milan, fashion women's show, three-star Michelin restaurants, just unbelievable brand access. And all you had to do was essentially, you own the digital good, you spend time and engage in the Discord, and then you're rewarded with kind of these once in a lifetime experiences. It's really the perfect mixing of digital transitioning into physical. And I think the best part of all of this is in that Discord, everything played out in real time. The person who won this is essentially saying, I'm at this restaurant, check this out. People are commenting about it. The entire ecosystem happened within this Discord. Again, this is an external platform that Prada leans into, but we can see this technology moving over to digital where you're owning the ecosystem, you're owning this community, and it goes from your audience, which everyone will have, to your community, which is the loyal piece of your audience that you know have tools to essentially lift up. If we look at Starbucks, so I mean massive, massive brand, right, that now wants to lean into Web3. You know, they've launched their Odyssey program, which is essentially, uh, it, I can tell you being deep in Web3, they have, they work on the Polygon blockchain, they're using Forum3 as their partner, uh, they have NFTs, but they're hiding all of that. You never hear the word NFT, blockchain, or crypto when you're dealing with Starbucks Odyssey program, even though that's all there. And you, you might think, okay, well, if Web3 was a fad, or maybe NFTs are too, why would Starbucks do it? Well, when you have over $14 billion in your rewards program, and you have more cash in reserves than 90% of US banks, how can you actually start to pull out more money from that loyalty? And this is exactly what they can kind of do with these type of programs. For those super loyalists, they can essentially lean in and extract more value, get these stamps, which are NFTs. They can be, you know, 
uh, these stamps are you know, uh, irrefutable. They're, they're yours forever. They're on the blockchain. And that's what we're starting to see is that Web3 is going to start to move to the background here. How do they use um, Discord? They hold these ask me anythings, right? They want feedback. How are we doing? What else can we do on our roadmap? And it's, if you're inside that Starbucks Discord, you're going to get the access to the brand to see what they're going to do before anyone else does. Let's talk about Porsche for a second. Porsche is all about in real life events. Uh, you want a 911, you know, the, the, the entry level Porsche is $120,000, pretty high barrier to entry, but for a hundredth of that price, buying their digital good, um, the, the 911 NFT, you basically have access to any of these in real life events. Uh, and our uh, director of Web3, Terry, actually went to LA to test this out. The retention at M7 is very high when we send them on these trips to race 911S turbos around racetracks. Um, but just think about this. It all started digital. He signed up, he engaged, and all of a sudden he was sent to LA, this wonderful welcome box. And again, reporting back to the Discord how everything went. So now this is someone. I don't pay him enough. He can't afford a 911S Turbo now, but for a hundredth of the price, his quote, he's like, I feel like I'm part of the Porsche family, right? So now they're grooming this audience that eventually will age into Porsche. So a way, it's a way to kind of open that aperture of what that audience will be when it ages into a hundredth of the price and he feels like he's part of the brand. Last one here is just Rebecca Minkoff. I thought what she's doing is really, really interesting. So in, in her Discord, in her digital goods, you get a seat at her design table. Talk about co-creation. This is exactly what Nike is doing with their dot .swish program, their Web3 program. But not only is it a seat at the design table, what I loved about this, again, it was all signed up through the Discord, is what they asked, the data they asked from us in that. Uh, so you'll see, you know, basic logistics here. I click here, I go to the link, I have to sign up. But this is a you know, private session with a few hundred people with Rebecca Minkoff on the call to talk about designing this bag with her that we will, we will physically get in real life. And what I love about this, not only the mechanics, which I skipped over a little bit to save time, that I need to hold the digital good and when I click it, it looks into my wallet, which is connected to Chrome. I'm eligible to claim this, so once I claim it, I now have this, what they call token gated access, and they need some information. I put my wife's information is, and, and she asked just a couple questions. Is this, is this your first NFT? You know, what was the last bag that you owned? You know, what's your favorite jacket? These kind of light touch questions, five or six, under the guise that if we give this information, we'll have a more curated session when we do this co-creation, which is brilliant, because I'm giving you six or seven pieces of data with a clear value exchange on the other side of that. And I think that's the future of community and loyalty. Not saying, please accept all cookies, we want to take as much as we can. It's saying, can you give us these five or six pieces of information, and I guarantee you there'll be a value exchange and we will use that to customize the session on the back end. So all four of these are part of one of our series that come out on Tuesdays called The Unlock, where we make the requisite investments to go inside of all these communities to kind of see the good and the bad, because as you can imagine, anyone who launched an NFT or Loyalty Web3, it all seemed like rose-colored glasses and amazing. There's some ugliness under the hood and some friction. So we have this series to kind of step in for brands to say, here's what Porsche's doing right, here's what they're doing wrong, and what you can essentially learn from it. Are you ready to explore the evolved customer journey where content, community, and commerce converge? 
At the Retail Innovation Conference and Expo, you'll learn how brands and retailers are embracing new consumer insights, new technologies, and new destinations to create relevant and resonant experiences. Taking place on June 4th through the 6th at McCormick Place in Chicago, the Retail Innovation Conference and Expo will bring some of the brightest minds in the industry together for unique networking and learning opportunities, including keynote speaker, marketing expert, and author of For the Culture, Marcus Collins. Check out the show notes to register today. Next up, we're going to talk about 3D uh, and the rise of virtual try-on. So VTO, virtual try-on, 3D models, you know, we hear these terms a lot. Uh, they kind of pop up. When we think 3D and AR, sometimes we think of like dancing hot dog and Snapchat. And I'm kind of here to say, I'm here to say, you know, 3D, immersive worlds, like this is absolutely the future. Apple very much also believes it's the future with their Vision Pro. But I mean, Google believes this. Like they're seeing 50% more engagement with 3D than their static images. That is a massive, massive deal. Uh, so much so that now Google is doubling down on 3D models to say, we need to start surfing these up with search. And it makes perfect sense. If you're Google, you need people on your search engine. You want more ad revenue. We have a product that's way more stickier than images, which is the core of what Google is. So let's bring in 3D models. So now they're quickly starting to roll out 3D models in search. Huge opportunity. Why? Because while they have their massive ad machine, which is 80% of their revenue, they want to pilot something out. So now you have the opportunity that your 3D model might pop up above organically the paid media that we spend so much money on. Um, so it's a really interesting opportunity for any commerce brand, any retail brand, to start to lean into 3D. Um, they're starting, obviously, with footwear, apparel, their data showing, furniture, all these things are important. And they're going to quickly uh, expand that out to all different product categories because the data is proving to them that 3D models are powerful. And we'll even show you a little proprietary data from M7 uh, in partnership with our AR partner, QReal, of, of the same thing we're seeing even accelerated. So the point here being that when we think of 3D models and virtual trying, it's just so much more than cosmetics or, yeah, I'll put on some makeup. It's everywhere, right? So it's expanding past just this. You know, we're starting to see footwear that looks really strong. We're starting to see full body. It's not perfect yet, absolutely not perfect yet, but it's advancing really, really quick. We're starting to see flip it in person. You can actually see the product, informational overlays, really, really rich experiences, kind of like the dream, the full funnel, where you can go all the way at the top for awareness around the product, all the way down to actual conversion. Whether it's hats, it's necklaces, it's eyewear, it's, it's really expanding out quickly. And our argument, or my thesis, is that this is no longer that shiny bolted on object to a media plan that's like, let's just try a little Instagram lens or a quick snap thing. Like This is an entire immersive marketing medium. So it doesn't even matter which industry you're in. There's augmented reality for all of them. It doesn't matter uh, what type you want, right? There's everything from masks to try on to target tracking, randomizer. And what I realize when I zoom out on all of this, uh, and you look at these numbers, which are just unbelievable of, yes, we all have AR on our smartphones, right? People prefer AR over video. We're seeing massive uptick in China that's starting to permeate to the US. Um, huge conversion rates uh, by Spotify and then the, the, by Shopify and the biggest piece there, right? Like Google saying like, we're now double down, doubling down on this medium. 
And if you look at the marketing funnel, you can see where it works across everything. So if it's awareness and you have like a big branded campaign, right, you can kind of do the fun gamified type lenses. And the data shows this, it's no shock. We as humans really love ourselves. We like looking at ourselves. We like face lenses, uh, very, very sticky. So again, they're not trying to drive sales of M&M at a conversion right here or just this grocery store, but a gamified, fun experience. And now what we're seeing is you kind of go down the funnel, let's go to consideration. Um, this was a Google Swirl unit we built for Bole with Qreal. Uh, and this is a programmatic ad unit that's fully interactive, served out programmatically. The 3D model is inside of it, completely interactive. You can move it around. There's checkout, tryout. You can do all these different things in this actual ad unit. This is full consideration in a rich media unit. You look to the right here too, even if you're Bank of America, right? Like what would you use your cash back for? So kind of again, this kind of fun, playful, interactive way where you're getting all the product information out there in a really interesting, immersive type medium. And what all the platforms are racing towards now is this final piece of like, how do we now convert? And I can tell you, being partners with Snap and Insta and Google and Meta, like they wanna push this, of course they do, because they wanna attribute and show to you as the brand, this is actually gonna drive sales. So we're starting to see even more on Snap, on Insta, these call to actions within these AR lenses that try to attribute and drive. So you can also lean deeper into the conversion type AR lenses where you're saying, go right from here to essentially purchase, whether that's in-app or it's web view and kicks out. Um, so we're really excited with where this essentially is going to go. And this is some of our data with Bole that we saw with AR, we wanted to test two different things. This was their first campaign where we said, what if we'd put no fuel on the fire, no paid media, we just kind of put this out. We strategically put it out on Instagram because in Snapchat, if you use AR, you kind of have to send it to a different friend. And what did Instagram do to try to catch up to Snapchat? They say, well, if you post this on your story in that top left corner, you'll essentially have that little thunderbolt which anyone who touches that instantly activates the AR lens. So if you're Bella Hadid and you put out an AR lens like she did, it goes, to her 25 million followers. So if they tap one of that, any one of those folks tap that lens, they're instantly into it. So it was one of the only ways to kind of organically go outside of the 50,000 followers that Bole had. And it kind of proved, uh, proved out for us that we were able to get a ton of impressions because of that shareability and leaning into some of these athletes just doing it and other people just wanting to try out the AR. And then when we double clicked on that and said, okay, well, what if we actually put a little bit of fuel into this fire um, for another campaign here saying we actually want to try to convert now. So let's go down that funnel, consideration with the Google Swirl lens. Uh, and what we did see was a massive sales uptick. Um, and that's because we, we planned for this, right? We said if we can push down not just the awareness, not just the cool, but pull it apart, be able to go in inside, see what it actually looks like, do product trial at scale, which I can tell you coming out of COVID was very much needed because most people didn't want to put on a communal pair of sunglasses or goggles. We kind of solved that by using a technology and it proved out. And the other stat here I'd call out, which coincides with Google, top right average dwell time on the model was about 18.54 seconds. Now again, this was holistic. We took these models, put it on their .com as well, um, and the dwell time was just absolutely huge. You know, I come from 10 years of the advertising world before I started M7, and we, you know, we're fighting for three seconds of a video playing in like one little corner of the screen, and that's a, that's a rousing success. You see 18 seconds of dwell time, full screen, a mobile, desktop, on these units, uh, it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, and I think that's where 
where uh, brands need to start to realize where this essentially moves is that you then think, well, great, now I need to go hire Curiel or hire this company. It's going to cost me millions of dollars. I'm going to have to make 50 models for this one product. And that's just not the case because the amazing thing now is, you know, if you build that singular model, right, you, we're calling the universal model, you know, it can be distributed everywhere, right? It, all of a sudden it can be, you know, on your uh, .com as a beautiful overlay. It can be used for virtual trying. It can be put in the Google Swirl ad unit. And then if we start talking about, which we will, you know, metaverse, all these different worlds, we're seeing brands now start to lean into taking those 3D models, putting them in immersive platforms. Puma's here. Uh, Puma just launched this today, the Black Station, which is their like immersive virtual retail. And the product is the hero. Each one of their sneakers, the Nitro, it, it's all about that. The whole world is built around the product. It's larger than life. You can check it out. All that is is a 3D model that they've had for a year or two. So there's a huge opportunity here um, to lean in to essentially 3D. For our last section, we're going to talk about this new world, which now quickly is becoming the old world, but we're here to show that it's not. So metaverse, NFTs, and Web3s, and, and this is where I really like to zoom out a little bit because these words just are so amorphous and they've been so swollen up with what do they actually mean, kind of like artificial intelligence now. There's so many different subsets, so many different applications. But the way I like to generally think about it is this. If you put these all together, all we're really talking about is the internet. Like the internet is an ever-changing, evolving organism. But you know, kind of uniquely American, we really like to label things. They're like, okay, this thing's gotta be the metaverse, and then those are gonna be NFTs. And we're in we're in web three now, even though you know, 20, 25 years ago when I got my AOL CD with 30,000 free hours, I wasn't like, oh, Web 1, so excited for Web 1, can't wait to see what the, the sequel is. But again, we need these words, right? We just need to create something so uh, we understand what it is. But my argument is like, we are just talking about the internet. And if you think of it in terms of that, then the internet really has three major parts that make it up. There's the digital destinations, the platforms that we go to. So let's call that the metaverse. The reality of that is it's not just, you know, her, Mark Zuckerberg's Horizon Worlds or Decentraland. It's also Netflix. It's also TikTok. It's all the digital destinations that we go to that will become more and more immersive as we go. When we think about the content we consume, let's throw NFTs, which is a word that absolutely will die, um, and it'll probably be replaced with digital goods or, you know, the virtual twin some of these words that show that every physical good could have a digital counterpart, uh, and those counterparts can have a ton of utility and uh, grant access. You know, spoiler alert, everything we showed you in that Discord, all that access, all those things, those were NFTs that gave you that access. So all the public could go into the Discord, but to get those experiences, to go into these private channels, to get to go to uh, Porsche in LA, we had that digital good that credentialized us, authenticated us, to get that experience. So when we think of the evolving internet, these digital goods, these passports, these tickets, uh, that's what's going to make up the content of the new internet, as well as live stream commerce, all these different things. And then there's the logistics. There's a lot of logistics that go into the internet, meaning our data, our privacy, our identity, our identity, our authentication, how we pay for things. And all those logistics, I would argue, uh, that's essentially the Web3 piece of it. So if this is our evolving internet, right, we're kind of racing, racing, racing to the future. To understand that future and why it came so quickly, it really requires us to kind of look back to the past for a second. 
Uh, and it's my argument here that all the metaverse hype, all of this, it really just started with gaming. Like gaming has been around for a while. It has only continued to grow as a medium consistently. Obviously had a COVID bump, but continued to increase anyway. And these stats I usually show like just shock a lot of people because we still have stigmas of, of like what gaming actually means, who, who a gamer really is. And now, you know, having over 3 billion gamers worldwide, the fact that 24 billion hours a year are watched in gaming. As, as we're chatting right now, there's two and a half million people on Twitch just watching other people play video games, not even playing the game. Uh, you know, Forbes showing 41% of gamers are now women. The average age is 35. You know, 180 billion in revenue, that's massive. Like, that's a massive number. 117 billion of that is in in-game transactions. Um, but when you think of like the, the global Hollywood box office and its best year is a fourth of that in revenue. But think of the oxygen that that gets, right? So gaming is kind of this, this uh, how can you describe, dark horse that's actually a juggernaut. Um, and just massive, massive daily active users. And when you, when you double click into that, to not only why gaming is so potent, but why everything starts to permeate out and everything's starting to become gamified, whether it's you know, Peloton's lane break or even Robin Hood with trading and it feels like you're gaming. It's like, because those things as humans, that gamified element like resonates with us, especially in a digital world. You think of the key emotional need that gaming fulfills. So you start with, you know, kind of connection. Again, aging myself here, um, but my sister uh, won a, a Nintendo Entertainment System in the McDonald's Monopoly game. It was a huge moment for our family. And uh, I used to play with her, like sit in the living room and play Nintendo. It was like wonderful. It's a wonderful memory I, I have. Um, and we had that connection, and that hasn't changed. It's still the same thing. It just might be, you know, on a headset or talking to people, but technology has caught up to allow that type of communication and that type of connection with other people uh, while you play. Community's the next piece. There's millions of games, and whether it's like a close-knit you know, Fortnite community or whether it's something like Minecraft and there's all these builders together, you have a sense of people with a, you know, a shared purpose. And I think the real key or unlock uh, is creativity. So I think in gaming, if you go back again, uh, you know, 25 years or so, you know, Super Mario app, the game, the movie just came out, right? When you first played the uh, Super Mario World, it's, it was Shigeru, Shigeru Miyamoto's vision, right? His eight worlds, his vision, fun fact about him, uh, he used to ride his bike to work every single day and they legally made him start to take a town car because he is the IP behind Legend of Zelda, Donkey Kong, Mario, because they said if you literally get hit by a bus, the whole company's gonna go down. But the point being is that like that was his vision and we all got to enjoy that, but that's not what gaming is anymore. Minecraft, Roblox, Fortnite, you build your own worlds and the best cream rises to the top and anyone can be a creator and that creativity unlock in gaming is what has made it absolutely explode and why this entire metaverse conversation has come up so quick. And what I argue is what it's happened with gaming and it's gonna happen with all these platforms is it creates these new rooms. So I, I argue like, my sister and I, 30 years ago, playing Nintendo, we were in a physical living room, but now my son, who's only three, he's not gonna be playing Call of Duty or anything too soon, but like he'll be with his friends, probably playing, maybe not in the same room, but it's going to feel the same. It's gonna be a digital living room that he's spending time with. Then there's the digital mall, games like Animal Crossing or Fortnite, where you might run into somebody that you don't know, or make a new friend, or a really hateful enemy, but either way, you'll meet someone new in these environments, just like you would walking around a mall. And then the digital arenas of tomorrow, and this is the, you know, we 
you know, advertising world too, right? Like fighting for ratings. Can we get a few million people to watch this program? It's prime time. It's in the perfect spot, 8 o'clock. You know, and I argue if Ariana Grande can get 20 million people, not prime time on a Saturday, you know, to come in uh, and enjoy a virtual concert, like the metaverse is absolutely here, right? So it's, it's not what we think, right? So when we argue of like, is it here, is it not? Like, that's an amazing feat. Travis Scott concert had 12.3 million people. There was a retail drop at the same time that completely sold out. And just look at this, right? Like. It's, it's interactive, right? The concert's happening, spatial audio. I'm emoting and dancing. I'm running through portals. I'm, I'm following the music. I'm, I'm actively participating in this concert. It's a mix of active here, now I'm back to a cut scene. Um, but I think the real key here is, like with everything, you know, you ask someone in Gen Z or someone who goes to this concert, and it's not like, hey mom, I really want to go to the metaverse later for this like virtual concert. I'm hoping to get some collectibles. It's like, no, they're like, I'm just going to go to the Ariana Grande show. It's happening tonight at 12. I don't want to miss it. It's ephemeral. And it, I'll have to watch it on YouTube after if I'm not there. And I think there's something really, really powerful in that. So it's the argument that if we think the metaverse is 5, 10, 20, 30 years away, no, it's, it's literally here. It just might not be all jacked into headsets with Mark Zuckerberg hanging around us. So let's get to our closing section here before we have about uh, 10 minutes for questions. Um, and we want to say, how do we actually get here? Right? How do we get here so fast? Uh, and if you look at the different internets, if you will, because I said we uni uniquely like to name things, you start with Web 1, and that was really kind of this information age where you, know, you had Yahoo, you had um, Internet Explorer, MSN, um, and everyone kind of shot out of the gate. If you remember, and I'll date myself again, Alta Vista, that was my jam. That's where I searched everywhere. There was Alta Vista, there was Ask Jeeves, Yahoo. Google now owns 94% of the market. So if you're wondering what's going to happen with AI, let's say the same thing. There's over 500 startups in AI that have been funded in the last 12 months. A lot of those will go away. But same thing happened with the internet here. It's that a lot of players came in. It was all about kind of broadcasting. We didn't even think about data at that point. Uh, and it was all desktop-based. I think we probably all remember like this silly flash ags where we got to hit the monkey. Um, and what was the downside? The downside, there were some unintended consequences. You know, grandma would send you the email, please forward this to 63 people or you get bad luck forever. Things were better back then. Uh, and then we kind of moved into this amazing Web 2 space where the internet really came into its own, kind of this platform era where you know, you could sell a product on Amazon, you could start a community on Facebook, you could build your own website on WordPress. And then we started to see, okay, all this big data might be able to be smart data, might be able to be used, it could be actionable. And then we hit the mobile era to say, okay, now we're adaptive. It's not just on desktop, it's not this sit down, active experience, it's now on the go, it's everywhere, it's pervasive, right? And then we started to see advertising got better, it got more personalized, it got more contextual, it got more kind of in the background as opposed to overt flash banners. Uh, and now we're really starting to see the ugly unintended consequences of that, of addiction, of you know, teen radicalization, what happens where these algorithms do these things. Instead of trying to solve all of this, we just rushed right into Web3. So Web3, and again, you have question marks here, uh, because when you think about it, oh, it's, it's going to be a fully decentralized internet. We're going to own our data. Who's going to be the top dogs here? Is it going to be Ethereum, because it's going to have to run on like a cryptocurrency? Is a, something like Decentraland, like a pure metaverse space that looks like Second Life, going to be a, a leader? 
what does it mean to own our own data? Like I am deep, deep in the tech weeds. I would have no idea how to set up my own node and then share binary data with Facebook versus Snap. Very hard. Um, so you would need a data intermediary that would do it for me, which feels kind of centralized. You think of the hardware, like, yeah, Vision Pro. Okay, Apple, $3,500, weighs 21 pounds, two-hour battery life. Don't think I'm going to get on a plane and watch Avatar without breaking my neck or the thing actually dying. I don't know if we're wearing mixed reality headsets in the next three to five years. Um, what is advertising going to look like? Is it going to be contextual? Is it in the game? Is the banner going to change based on what I say? And, and what, are the, what are the unintended consequences we're essentially not thinking of? So my argument is that we are here, right? We're in Web 2.5, where it's still very much about ownership. You know, you still have the leaders in Microsoft and Apple. You have the Nikes and the Starbucks. Uh, and the meta, you know, they're, they're trying to be pioneers in this space, but it's still very much going to be centralized. It's still the hardware is going to be mobile. It's going to be desktop. We hope advertising can get more additive, contextual, and not just be um, creepily personalized. And we still have to deal uh, with all these unintended consequences. But let's end the debate that Web3 is going to be fully decentralized. My best prime example is if you look at two of the largest Web3 companies, Coinbase, one of the biggest crypto banks, if you will, dealing with some heat right now. Uh, and if you look at OpenSea, the largest NFT mass market marketplace, which is actually larger than the next 10 mass market NFT marketplaces combined, uh, if you look at the lead investors in both of those companies, it's Andreessen Horowitz. Uh, and if you want to draw a line from Web2 to Web3, Andreessen Horowitz were early investors in Airbnb, in Twitter, in Pinterest, in Meta. Mark Andreessen sits on the board of Meta, and he sits on the board of Coinbase. So the, the players who are very centralized in Web2 are very much trying to build Web3. So let's debunk that this whole decentralized, owned by the people internet, it's not going to be that. It's going to be Web2.5. And I always like to end here to say, well, then when is this all going to happen? Tell me, Matt. When is this going to happen? And you know, if you read every single trade and, and what you know, the, the talk is on Twitter, it's like, it feels like this, where it's like, OK, well, we're in the metaverse. It's all generative AI, robots, artificial general intelligence. That's about to take over. That's another keynote. Um, NFTs, we're all here. It's all happening. It's all real. And our argument is like, let's push this out a little bit. This is what I believe, to say, we're going to kind of be in this web 2.5 for a long time. It's going to be a decade or more of this type of space. Uh, and only you know, decades from now will we get to a place where we have fully decentralized and all these different things. And I always measure it by this. And again, apology for some of the formatting. Um, but I measure it by like what has hit a critical mass of adoption. Gaming esports, I showed you over 3 billion uh, gamers, 180 billion in revenue critical mass of adoption. You look at 3D and commerce, 250 million AR lenses used every single day on Snap. Um, 3D, Google, exploding, critical mass of adoption. Social commerce, starting to explode. A lot of conversations here about it. In-app purchasing, TikTok doing that. Um, critical mass of adoption. Crypto, no, it's under some heat, but you can get Bitcoin in your Fidelity 401k, right? Going nowhere, that's starting to get a little bit more mass adopted. But as you start to go down that list, Everything is just a little bit more further out, right? That we're all going to just spend time in virtual destinations all the time. Absolutely not. That every company is going to have the Amazon coin and you know, the, the Panera token and that on, built on their own blockchains very, very far in the future, if ever. The fact that we're going to have you know, avatars that can jump from space to space. No, there's a reason we have Bitmojis on Snap and Mimojis on Apple and Metamojis on their platforms, because 
No platform wants me to spend, you know, $500 on my digital bag in Snap and then walk over to Meta and Mark Zuckerberg and be like, well, I didn't get any revenue off of that. I'm not letting that bag inside of here. So they're built to not be interoperable. So you know, these single avatars that are jumping cross land to land way, way far out. Same thing with mixed reality headsets when it comes to critical mass of adoption, meaning 70 or 80% of us in here will have a heads up display on. Um, and then that final piece of each one of us fully owning and deciding who owns our data by ourselves running our own nodes, we push that very, very far out. So I kind of close uh, back to this scene. I always like to reference Amara's Law. Amara's Law is from a social scientist in the 60s where he said, we tend to overestimate the effect of a technology in the short run and we underestimate its effect in the long run. I'll hit that one more time because it's salient for almost everything we talked about today. We tend to overestimate the effect of a technology in the short run and we underestimate its effect in the long run. I think that was true for the internet, and I think that's gonna be very true for topics like artificial intelligence, metaverse, Web3, NFTs, uh, and it's something that even though it's a quote that's 50 plus years old, it is very salient for all of these technologies. So we have somewhat, or very much what, overestimated them, but do not underestimate them because that will be the future of digital. Wasn't Matt amazing? I always love speaking with him and I know the Retail Touch Points team does as well. So definitely check out the site, check out Retail Remix in the archive. Um, we have quite a few conversations with him, so you can go back, check those out. And of course, be sure to check out our 2024 trends report because he has some insights there as well. Thanks again to all of you for joining us. Just a quick note that we will not have a new episode next week. We will be too busy celebrating the holidays with our friends, family, and loved ones. We hope you are as well. And then the week after, we're actually going to move our new episode to the Wednesday, January 3rd, with the New Year's Day on a Monday, and then on Tuesday, lots of folks getting back into the swing of things. We're just going to give folks another day to get back into action with work and all of that good stuff on the Wednesday. So new episode coming that Wednesday, January 3rd, and it's going to be a very special episode where we're going to feature some key insights and predictions from our friends who contributed to our trend report. So really excited to drop that. Again, folks, be sure to stay tuned for that new episode dropping on January 3rd. Thank you all again so much for being listeners of Retail Remix, members of the Retail Touchpoints community. We truly appreciate you and all of the time you take to check out our content, to share it, and even to contribute to it as well. We'll see you in the new year, folks. We hope you enjoy it. Take care.